Good morning. It is Palm Sunday, the triumphal entry of Jesus into Jerusalem, entering the last week of his life, ending in his trial, condemnation, and death on a cross. Today, and on Resurrection Sunday, we will look at the true triumph of Jesus. And that's what we see even here in chapter 2 of Paul's letter to the Philippians. The theme in the letter to the Philippians is to stand united in one spirit. And that remains central. Paul has just finished inviting the Philippians to realize they stand together with him, not only in the same contest for the faith of the gospel, but even in the suffering of Jesus, our Christ. Now, here in Philippians chapter 2, verses 1 through 4, and in verse 5, Paul gets very specific. Let's read it together. I hear those Bible pages leafing. It's a great sound. So, if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility, from self excuse me, in humility, count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. And then verse 5, have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. Paul wants one thing. He wants us to imitate Christ. As citizens of heaven, imitate Christ. In fact, he wants us to have the mind of Christ. What would Jesus do is a step in having the mind of Christ. We're going to see here in verses 1 and 2, 3 and 4, and then as we peek at verse 5 and on into 6 through 11, that Paul wants us to count our status. He wants us to calculate our rank, and he wants us to compare our Savior, Christ himself, our first citizen. So, let me begin in verses 1 and 2. First, we count our status in Christ. 
Paul says, in Christ, we all share the same status. We all enjoy his benefits and privileges as citizens. If you are a citizen of heaven, our answer here is yes, 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 and yes. Let me put it this way, perhaps in a way that would be a little bit more familiar to us. Have you experienced our Christ's encouragement? Yes. Experienced the comfort of his love? Yes. Have you experienced that special affinity we share together in his spirit? Yes. Have you experienced his tender mercy and his compassion? Yes. Paul would say, indeed, we have. And if you have, make my joy overflow. Make me the happiest prisoner in prison. Fill me to the brim with joy by being united in one mind, one love, one spirit. The ESV, the English Standard Version said in one accord, in one spirit and with one ruling or governing or guiding thought. Now let's remember, and we saw this just last Sunday, the city of Philippi was a Roman colony. The legacy of Philippi was really built on their Roman citizenship, their Roman law, their Roman life. As it was, it is at that time in the great city of Rome itself. All even if some were not citizens, all of the Philippians would prize this citizenship, even if some in the church were not citizens. In Rome, Roman status was based on ancestry and noble birth, on property, on wealth, on political rank. Such status means you are a man, you are a free man, and you are a citizen. But the status that we enjoy, that Paul called us to be worthy of, the citizenship of heaven that we enjoy is shared by all citizens alike. And all are citizens, whether they be man or woman, whether they be rich or poor, whether they be of noble or base birth, whether they be free or not, whether they be Roman or not. So because of our shared status with which Paul appeals in verse 1, 
we have one mind, one love, one spirit, and one ruling or guiding or controlling thought. In fact, this word, one mind, if you will, one disposition, one attitude, think of that as a pledge, a mindset, a mantra. We have one mantra. We have one chorus, one pledge, one point of view. Sometimes we get a chorus from a catchy song stuck in our head and we can't get rid of it. That is the mindset that Paul wants us to have. And that guiding or ruling thought is revealed in verse 3 and 4. So we count our status in Christ in verses 1 and 2. Next, we calibrate our rank in Christ. And we see that in verses 3 and 4. When you calibrate something, you use a standard by which to adjust what it is that you're trying to calibrate. Paul's ruling or guiding thought for us is this, to calibrate our rank to the proper standard. Paul hasn't yet stated what that standard is, although we have a clue. But he does say, if you calibrate like I'm asking you, you will make me the happiest guy in jail. And then he goes on at the, in the balance of verse 3 and into verse 4. He tells us how to calibrate, even though we don't have that standard right before us. He says, go low. Literally, he says, go low. Get low. Lower yourself. How low? How low, Paul? Well, Paul would say, lower than the other person. Go as low as needed so you rank the other person higher than yourself. That's the ruling, guiding mindset that Paul wants us to have in our mind. He wants that guiding mindset to be a disposition in which we rank others higher than ourselves. That's the calibration. We're always placing ourselves lower in order to elevate and rank higher than ourselves other people, whether it be in the church or outside in society. That's the true humility that Paul wants us to adopt. He uses this word humility, which is for Paul a mashup of two words, the word low, which can be used to get low as if I were to walk downstairs or stoop or lower myself physically. But it's also used metaphorically. 
And that's where the other word that Paul uses in this mashup that he created. And that is the idea of a mind that is lowered. To have a low-minded disposition. Not high-minded. You'll notice he says, he says, not motivated by selfish ambition or conceit. That word conceit that Paul uses actually has to do with pursuing empty glory. Paul doesn't want that. He wants us to have a low-minded outlook in which we are able to elevate others, elevate their rank. So the key is this. You see, our status that we identified with, that Paul is motivating us with from verse 1, our status remains the same. Our status remains equal. We all share in a status that can't be changed, can't be taken away, can't be minimized or diminished or spoiled or removed. We all have that same equal status, but our rank, our rank is to voluntarily and willingly go low, to lower ourselves beneath that of another person. It makes me want to say, and I actually, I did say this last week, Pastor Paul, I'd love to make this mindset my pledge and make you happy. But humility is one hurdle I can't make as low as it is. It's so hard. And that's the truth. Humility is hard work. And why is it so hard? Why is it so painful for us to humble ourselves? I'll give you one good reason. Humility runs against the grain of our culture. It runs against the flow, against the tide. It runs against the current of our culture. Have you ever tried to swim upstream? It's hard. It's very hard. And when we're humbling ourselves in a society that doesn't favor that kind of humility, doesn't award it, doesn't recognize it, it's hard work. Number two, it's against our nature, the flow of our collective nature. Our collective nature is our culture. And we hum humans are really fundamentally selfish. I know that's not a popular idea, but we are cussed and self-centered. You don't even have to teach it. It comes naturally. And social media panders to it. It panders to the self. Everyone gets a microphone. Everyone gets a stage, a spotlight a platform for self-promotion. Build your brand. 
Sell yourself. Market and make a name for yourselves. Humility, you see, moves in the opposite direction of self-promotion, self-elevation. Humility was not a virtue in Greco-Roman society. And humility is not a virtue in the United States of America, nor in this shrinking globe via media, social media. Our world <laughs> makes me think of uh, stuntmen, where you see something uh, dangerous in a commercial and there's a, a warning. Don't try this at home. Kids, don't try this at home. Leave it to professionals. Yeah, humility can be dangerous. But Paul urges us, yeah, it's hard, but that's how you become professional. Professional in the sense of our standard, in the sense of our first citizen, in the sense of the one we follow and the one we are to imitate, and that's Jesus Christ, our Savior. Of course, we can refuse to imitate Jesus, but then we would turn ourselves into ingrates, owning the name of Christ and the status of Christ, self-promoting, self instead of promoting Christ and chasing the rank of earthly citizenship, which is a God-denying, ungrateful, conceited citizenship. As I said, Paul's wor word for conceit is prizing or pursuing empty glory. Let me just, uh, realizing and agreeing that humility can be very difficult, very painful, very hard. Let me give a few simple thoughts to help on the path to humility, on the path to lowly rank. One is mindset. This mindset is to be our home mindset, our home address, our hangout, not just on holidays or special occasions. It's to be a settled mindset that's very familiar to us, that's not foreign, not like a guest mindset. When it comes to humbling ourselves, we can swoop down, get small on occasion, but what's truly hard is when someone puts us down, strikes us down, says we are low or we're nothing. That's humbling. And it's being humbled by force. That's not humility on our part. That's humiliation. Humility takes training. It takes a mindset of the one that we love, we adore, 
we serve and we follow, the one that we want to imitate. Second, we need to go into training. We need to pursue turning professional, imitating Christ. There are a couple of suggestions as to how to up our game. First, love Jesus and grow your gratitude. In verse 1, Paul has given us a lot to be thankful for. It not only reviews our status, but it inspires thanksgiving and praise and gratitude. To grow your gratitude this week, I encourage you, read verse 1. And as you read it, say please. Say please. Say please. Say please. And when you finish reading it, say thank you. Thank you. Thank you. And thank you. A second thing that can help us to take steps into training for humility. I believe the hard work of humility is made easier and more authentic by an attitude of gratitude. The more we become a people of gratitude, the more we're not surprised that we get a great deal of help from all manner of sources, all under the umbrella of God's grace. In fact, life is increasingly approached as a gift. It's the gift nature of life that floods our heart and shapes our outlook on the world. And so it is when we are grateful, we see the truth. Gratitude helps us to acknowledge God in our lives, God in the work of life, in the things of life, even in the pandemics of life. As Paul said, I am who I am by God's grace in 1 Corinthians 15.10. In other words, all I am and all I have bears the stamp of gift. So, our status is a gift. Our rank is the grateful choice we treasure for we value Jesus and his gift to us. Grateful people are humble people. And it is gratitude that helps me to recognize and will help you to recognize or you can bear witness that it helps you to recognize that where, how you've gotten to where you are, you didn't go alone. And that is a position of humility that helps us to appreciate all the ways in which we get through a day and through life with the help of others and ultimately the grace and help of God. Third, here are some quick and easy beginning exercises in humility. The first is laugh at yourself. The second is see your faults and don't just see them, admit them. Be candid, frank about the things that you do wrong or 
foolishly or learn to back up and say, let me start over. I should have said that differently. I should have handled that differently. Please forgive me. Admit your faults and move on in God's grace. Accept his forgiveness. That's what the cross is about, that nothing should get in the way of our fellowship with God and the power and work of his spirit in our lives. So when you stumble or if you fall, brush off your pants or your knees and get up and get going. Get back in the power of the Holy Spirit. Get back in the mindset of that humility that accepts his forgiveness and says, I can do more in Christ's strength than in my own. A, A third point that I think is a beginning exercise is adopt this slogan, no job is too small. And avoid this slogan, not my job. So remember that, no job is too small. No job is beneath me. No task below my majesty. And on the other hand, dump the slogan, not my job. And finally, number four of my easy beginning exercise is this. If you want some more tips or you want some more um, examples of how to begin, then go to what Jesus said. He has a list in Luke chapter 6, the gospel of Luke chapter 6, verses 27 through 36, and work on those. Finally, Paul brings us then, he says, you know, we start, uh, we begin uh, with account of our status. And then He says, uh, next, we coordinate our rank. We calibrate our rank. Then, he says, we compare our leading citizen, Christ himself. And that brings us to verse 5. The first citizen of Rome, this is an important uh, kind of Comparison. The first citizen of Rome, the the princeps, was the emperor. He was a a fatherly figure. He was to embody all the virtues of a good leader. And so he would set the example. He would legislate it too, but he was to model all of the virtues of the Roman citizen. In imperial Rome, the princeps was to embody those virtues such as clemency and justice, as I said, be a father figure that we can look up to, that we can emulate. I don't know whether Paul had the princeps in mind, but it does give us a picture that fits Paul's appeal to Roman citizenship, only our citizenship is contrasted with Roman citizenship. Our citizenship is in heaven, and we're there because of our leader, our preen 
So there's a contrast with Christ. A noble Roman emperor is on a path of promotion, self-elevation and glorification. In fact, at death, a noble emperor became deified, a god. The divine Augustus, for example. But in the second part of Paul's letter, the second chap- part of the ch- second chapter, Paul says, our Christ, Jesus, is God, equal with God, but he takes the path of demotion, of lowering himself, the path of humiliation, And at death, Jesus suffers the lowest death of all, the death of a slave. There is no lower station in Roman life, in the life of the first century, than the life of a slave. But this is the amazing thing. And this is the thing that our world doesn't see, that we don't see if we're looking at it through the prism of our world, through the lens of our world. In heavenly citizenship, the path to glorification, to elevation, is the path down. Up is down. In the economy, in the citizenship, in the kingdom of God. So to have the mind of Christ, our first citizen, we have to imitate him. We have to let go of equality. Yeah, that can be hard. We have to let go of equality. We'll find it hard in our homes, with our spouse, with our children, with our parents. We'll find it hard in our neighborhood, with our neighbors. We'll find it hard in the workplace, at school, whenever we get back there. We'll find it hard. We'll have rank, but rank isn't status. And our true rank in Christ is to elevate others above ourselves. So we have to let go of equality or superiority. That's what Jesus did in verse 6. We also need to empty ourselves. That's what Jesus did in verse 7. He accepted the status of a slave. He became human and accepted the status of a slave. And we need to lower ourselves. That's what Jesus did in verse 8. He was obedient unto death. Crucifixion, the death of a slave. Our preenkeps, our first citizen, we get our word principle. In in English, we'd say princeps, probably, like in principle. But our preenkeps in Latin is to... take a seat at his table to accept our status and rank from his hand and from his hand his bread and his cup 
which bears a very important marker of status and worth and value. So I want us to prepare our hearts. I hope you have some bread, the cup. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face. And the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face. And the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. On the night he was betrayed, he took bread, he blessed, and he broke it. And he said, this is my body. which is for you. Take and eat. the same way after supper the cup saying this cup is the new covenant in my blood all of you drink it often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you do proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. We want to close our service as we continue to meditate on the Lord.
TJ is going to lead us in a closing song. God bless you. We love you.